Listen up, nerds. We're doing pen and paper stuff. The Paladins of Podcast are back. Are back. And rolling the dice on new content, upgrades to nothing, and a few missing pages from the rule books. Introducing Joshua Johnson, the man behind. Wait, where did those notes go? Follow Rob and Josh as they navigate the outer planes and anywhere in between on the Epic Table Games Audio Show. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Epic Table Games Audio Show with the Paladins of Podcast, Rob and Josh. So, Rob, I want to declare today's episode is the sleepy episode where both you and I look like we've been heavily beaten with a stick and tried to survive. That is why we're audio show, not a video show. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, of course, you decided to go through with betraying me by spending time with other people. Uh, You're referencing our content curator, Mike, aren't you? Oh, I was talking about your wife, but yeah, Mike, too. (laughs) You know, I love my wife to death, and um, thankfully, after this, I get to go home, and she'll probably still be sleeping. Wish I had a wife. Alright, so, uh, after the incel discussion... <laughs> I don't even know how to, how to even lament the fact that a lot of our listeners probably do too. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> no, everyone's gonna leave, including me at this moment. That feels like a really bad joke. It's just it's such a nerd... Th- you know, we've got so many nerd stereotypes in our communities. Um, and then, I think part of it's so beaten, beaten into our brains that, like, when you watch something on nerd culture in general that's not more modern like you watch older nerd shit Mm -hmm. uh you see the the unhygienic poorly taken care of themselves overweight pimply faced makes Um, me really sad because uh what all we are we're both actually overweight i'm dude i'm bringing it down man i've lost like i know you are hold on let me uh almost 50 pounds i need to drop like a solid 100 go back on keto and shit um also talk to your doctor yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's really serious. I know that we're not a health podcast by any means. But, well, now we are. <clears throat> um, so I talked to my doctor, and I've got, I don't have a lot of health issues, but I've got something going on with like an insulin carry issue, um, and there are medications to help solve that. So while I'm not diabetic, um, my doctor found a medication for me that helps with the blood sugar, um, just essential carries and how it works and operates. And it's actually helped me lose quite a bit of weight because now my body is operating more correctly. Uh, so for those of you who are, have watched way too much YouTube like I have, um, just to be clear, it regardless of what diet you go on or what you try to do to lose weight, I want you to be honest with yourself. It is not necessarily always your fault that your weight stays on. Absolutely. And human, again, talk to your doctor. Yeah, human body, incredibly inconsistent. Um, I've tried like a dozen different diets. The only one I actually lost weight on was keto. Mm-hmm. I did it for like a month and a half. I lost 20, 25 pounds. Oh, it, ac- it actually stayed off for about six months, but I dropped the diet due to stress. Right, right. See, I, I know that for me, if I cut down a lot of my carbs, I, I was a personal trainer a while ago. And um, funny story about that too is that when you know how to do things, like, oh, it's easy, so you don't do them because it's easy. It's 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 a lazy oh. thing. So, what anyhow, the? <laughs> anyhow, so... Oh. So, uh, also, when you're working with clients, my bread and butter clients were uh, older ladies who like to work together um, in group settings. So, you don't want to be jacked. You want to still have a fluffy, approachable look. Is it sad that I'm actually really, that sounds really fun. Maybe I should make some friends with like 50 year old ladies. It's interesting. Anyhow, um, (laughs) 
damn it. Sounds sick, dude. So anyhow, uh, in that case, talk to your doctor. Uh, and if your doctor's not sure what to do about weight loss, find somebody who specializes in obesity and weight loss man- weight management. Uh, it's really important because, like you said, Josh, everybody's body is different. Yeah. So uh, knowing what your body does and how it functions is only part of it. When I dropped my carbs down to, I think it was like I could have the equivalent of two pieces of bread a day. Yeah, that's out, that's a little above keto, but yeah, that's... Yeah, I, I cut out all soda, all extra sugars, and it was difficult. And I dropped a lot of weight. I kept it off for the most part until I developed different lifestyle habits. And then what would end up happening is I have the specific carb cravings. And I don't know if you've ever experienced those. Yeah, I have ADHD. It's actually very common with ADHD to, like... Oh, to actually suffer quite poorly from carb-like intake. Mm-hmm. Um, it's where you eat like a bottomless pit and it doesn't really seem to satisfy you until you're really overstuffed. Actually, that's what's nice about keto is for to manage your ADHD without medication, you can actually reduce your carb intake dramatically and it actually helps mitigate your symptoms. All right. Now is just a disclaimer. We're not doctors. I am. We don't know. I do know. We just have Google and your experience. Exactly. I am a okay. doctor, a real doctor. Please stop. You're going to get us in real trouble if you keep you this one up. They can't sue us if they don't know my address. Please stop. <laughs> Anyhow, so last week I went to Gen Con. Uh, unfortunately, I know that you couldn't make it, so we went with content curator Mike. Um, and we had a pretty good time. It sounded like it. It wasn't bad. We met and had a lot of good conversations briefly with a lot of developers. We checked out the Any Awards. And the reason that those were so important are because Gen Con is the largest gaming convention globally. Yeah, my Facebook got covered in it. Yes. And we tried to post quite a bit more than we usually do, trying to keep up on top of that. Um, But what we found is that there was kind of a small problem, and that's the event itself is incredibly large. So to give you a scope of size, Mm -hmm. the Indiana Convention Center is already massive. Yeah, absolutely massive. It's connected to four or five hotels, all through Skywalks. Four or five? Yeah, the Marriott, what is the JW the... Marriott, um, one, two other expensive. What ones. is the attendee count? Um, are we talking like pre-COVID levels, up to seventy-five thousand? Holy Jesus Christ. Yeah, there I went to Yomacon once and I thought that was kind of big. Yeah, so we're talking enough attendees essentially to fill a small city. Jeez. All right, so if you were in, for example, one hotel and your next event that you wanted to go to was in a different hotel, they like to end events about 10 minutes prior to the hour. Usually mm. things are about an hour long. It would take you all 10 minutes of straight walking, no stopping or detours from one end of the hotel across the skywalk through the convention center across the skywalk to the next hotel this was really fun it it was great Sixteen thousand steps that day Mm. which is only so low because i uh had to sit through three or four hour long events did you have extra steps thrown in there due to the amount of times you and mike got lost no we did really good at not getting lost after the first day, it was pretty... You just follow the signs. It's yeah, like driving. The first day sounded pretty rough. It, uh, trying to get there, uh-huh. getting lost. Mm. It was amazing. Oh, my God. So we got there on Thursday night. Uh, there were still events going on. And we locked our keys in the car. <laughs> I saw that. I oh, like... my God. Oh, my God. That was horrible. <laughs> yeah. It, it was definitely a rough 
beginning, but when you guys finally took off, you were really going for it. Yeah, yeah, it, it was great. But we found that one of the issues is that uh, because there are so many events, I think there were like 33,000 events total between absolutely everything going on. My mind is like desperately struggling to grapple onto how to even handle that. Yeah, and what we did was because we knew we wanted content for Epic Table, we focused specifically on business stuff. So it was seminars where we could get news, where we could go to events and you know, world building things, try to get other perspectives, trying to develop a, I guess you could consider a more rounded world view on uh, DMing skills, player skills, world building skills, things that allow you to really jump in, dive in, and get your hands dirty with the craft. So on Friday, that was all we did. Just nothing but events. I mean, writing seminars, um, how to write content for third, how to write third-party content for specific games, um, how to do better writing and world building, and it was actually really informative, really awesome. But by scheduling all those events, we got to experience such little from the convention itself. Yeah, because your focus is for the beautiful, beautiful listeners at home, really taking it in to bring it back to them. I really tried. So what we found is that while it's there, Mike and I both felt like we didn't get to experience what Gen Con had to offer. But this also begs the question, what exactly is a convention besides just a really, really large flea market of new stuff? Um, nah, you're, you're quite highly right. I think the experience comes from innately the human nature of it. And with Gen Con from its format, it's more of, it's more of stuff being fed to you rather than the actual experience and engagement that you would give back to it. Depending. Like they had fencing lessons. (laughs) All right. I I would say why, but there's a lot of smelly nerds over there. So nope, nobody stunk. It was awesome. Um, so yeah. And All of this has been great fun and things that we really enjoyed, but what I brought back here is I know that I've talked about it in season one, and I think you and I have talked about a little bit about it, and it's that third-party content idea. And I know one of the biggest issues with third-party content started with Dungeons & Dragons 3.0. Like, when they opened up their license to the OGL when they made OGL license. Right. It's a really kind of famous period in TTRPG history, honestly. So much so that the base D20 system is widely available and used still today because of the OGL license. In fact, um, WotC is starting to push away from that OGL license because there's so many d20 things out there right now yeah um so when it comes to third party i kind of need to know what you're describing to me when you're speaking about third party um i'm used to like everyone and their mother attempting to just make a book and slap the fifth edition well i guess at the time would be third edition label onto something okay so this is a great point because Excuse me, Mike and I have the conversation about what constitutes third party versus homebrew. And essentially, third party is published homebrew. Hmm. So, like, I guess you would define it as it's just literal content made through a company, tested in quotations, and put out to the public versus what I made half drunk one night. Yeah, or found on the internet that has no basis. Yeah. Essentially. So I think the biggest difference between what you would consider homebrew versus third party, um, at least Mike and I shared agreement after an hour-long conversation on this one topic alone, was the fact that homebrew is 
consider it amateurish. Even though you may know the rules, you're kind of piecing things together or you're creating things specifically um, that may or may not be balanced. And you may have 20 years of experience, but it hasn't been pub professionally published, looked upon by the community, kind of tested. It hasn't cut its teeth on anything yet. I'm not totally against that idea. <laughs> I also think homebrew is also created more of the with more of the intention that like you're dealing with a specific thing. Best yeah. example is like you have a player, they want to try something new. You homebrew a little something for them. Mm -hmm. We're not all like weird, like character creator redditors, which is actually a lot of what I see on D and D Beyond, where they're like, "Let me make this homebrew monster. It has nothing to do with my campaign, but isn't it cool?" Yeah, yeah. And we then, then you gain D and D Beyond redditor karma, right? Oh my God. So, so uh, we we have that aspect, and one of the best things that. Uh, Gen Con really provides is an eye-opening experience to so many different games and systems because one of the things I've noticed on Reddit or Facebook is that everybody says I want to be able to do this or play this style game. Oh, okay, okay. You What you just hit is literally the shit I actually dealt with like a month or two ago. Okay, so Facebook story as with all stories that are great. Uh, in my, what was it? It was like a D&D group finder. Actually, I think that's how I found you. Yeah, because I, yeah. I don't mind playing with random people I meet on the internet. Yeah, so basically this girl's like, oh, I want to play, um, or I want to set up Resident Evil, basically. They're like zombie survival, modern times, and I want to do it through 5th edition. And I, now, I actually responded a little aggressively and a little negatively, which is out of tune for me, but I did. I acknowledge that now. But um, I went, okay, like, hey, instead of, like, torturing a set of your players with, like, bad homebrew you're trying to develop, why not go look for a system that's been made and curated and not just use 5th edition? Mm -hmm. Because I understand that means it's easy to jump into, but, like... You're gonna have to create so many premises and circumstances, and you and I doubt you're gonna just create the consistency out of thin air. Right. So I just think it would be better if you explored different systems. Like if you want to create homebrew, homebrewed fifth edition content to suit your setting, I get it and I can respect that. But you know what I respect more? Everyone having fun and not being you know dragged along the street. Right. Right. And what you're really lamenting here is something I also feel strongly about is the fact that. There are systems that have been designed and developed that do things, certain things, better than other systems. So we've talked about uh, um, off mic, things such as combat are heavily influenced and integral to the way Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder have been set up. Which I actually think that can be considered quite negative. It can be. And imagine taking one of those games and stripping out that huge portion of it. I mean, you're essentially yeah. cutting off half of the rulebook. Yeah, that's why I'm actually I actually struggled with the Konosuba RPG because it essentially butchers your your combat. I actually should probably I'm working on a blog post for that. That'd be great. I think yeah. the uh, the audience listeners would really enjoy seeing something like that because you've talked about that before. Yeah, it's like um it's like I'm trying to play chess and they they it's like trying to play chess but taking out the actual idea that you're competitive with it. You're trying to play chess in, in an aspect you almost don't even tackle or consider because when I play when I play D and D. Mm -hmm. If you wipe away 90% of its content, which is combat-based, yes. I can play that last 10%, but I am not comfortable or used to it. I look at it like just primary social interactions. Yeah. And social interactions are great. 
I love role play. I love story building. I love storytelling. So I don't necessarily need the combat. I almost do. It's like I almost can't live without it. It's very strange for me. A lot of people need the combat. And a lot of people are addicted to dice rolls. And they like rolling lots of dice. And combat is a way to do that. I Stop mentioning dice. I don't trust you. Hey, I I love dice. I've got a huge collection. I've got a treasure chest of dice. Are you telling the listeners that? Or are you telling me that? Because you've told me that many, many times. Everybody. I love my guys. Anyhow, um, as, as we're looking at the idea, because we needed to start here kind of the base, I picked up something from Gen Con, more than just one something, but this one in particular. Um, it's Journey to Ragnarok, and I've been looking at this for a long time. Everybody knows that Rob has been looking for a Viking-style game, like badass yeah. Viking-style game. And this one really hits all the marks. I mean, it's got horror elements. It's got thematic elements. It's got all the worlds. Uh, it's got the gods. And I was looking at it I'm like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to build. This is what I want to play. This is what I want to check out. And initially, it started off as a standalone and then 5e compatible. I'm like, ah, shit. What am I looking at here? Like, what am I going to get myself into? I see where the problem could be. And... They ended up going straight 5e compatible. And like it's built off of 5e. And as you were looking through the book just before the show, mm-hmm. uh, you kind of <clears throat> gave some rundown too. You said 5e built on 5e, but not a direct 5e. Like, so I want to I want to put a little context to that. Mm-hmm. So for those of you listening, what you are used to when you hear us talking about third party content, you're essentially bringing up my concept of clones. What's happening is. You are taking a piece of content. In reality, it's just reskinned over. Ravenica, great example. It doesn't feel like Ravenica because it's just D&D with a slightly different coat of paint. You're losing that flavor and context. I feathered through the book for about 10, 15 minutes. It felt very strongly different. They copied the name of the classes, and that's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. They reflavor and rename everything. To me, what makes this vastly seem different immediately is I will never be able to play this book and try to adapt normal 5th edition D&D content. I have to play this book and its expansions, and they are their own thing. And that's what I like about it. Same. And this is where I think we start getting away from third-party content, whereas something like Midgard, the world setting by Kobold Press lays on top of your initial rules like fifth edition rules or lays on top of your pathfinder rules and they're fun they're great but they play congruently same problem though you're not getting that full full flavor of of what essentially what ragnarok is doing ragnarok is being actually what you want it to be norse Mm -hmm. mythology with that kind of that kind of viking metal shit going on right but uh, it's so strange. Anytime 5th edition content releases, it doesn't feel like a full step. It feels like they kind of dip their toes in the water and you're just you're still just playing right. D&D and it's not satisfying. Right. And so, as we've talked before about that third-party idea, uh, the Cobalt Press Monster Codex 5e is just a big book full of monsters. Okay. Um, which is awesome. Yeah, it is. That's strict third party that integrates right into every five E campaign you can ever have. They use the same rules, same stat blocks, same formats, the whole deal. Mm-hmm. And I know that everybody kind of hates that um, third party aspect. Like I don't want anything third party, and then they'll go buy this third party book. Mm-hmm. Boom! <laughs> here's here's my bestiary. 
And I'm like, all right, well, let's let's try to define something more correctly or appropriately here. And as we look and we say, yeah, third party is published content from other publishers that are not um, the primary game you're playing. I gotta, I'm gonna lament that right here because WotC and Paizo are not the only two publishers around. What? What do you mean? So, dramatic pause. Anyhow, <laughs> um, everybody plays Dungeons & Dragons or Pathfinder because they're the two biggest. Yeah, everybody and they're the that. only ones that exist, right? Totally not. So, <laughs> there are other systems out there. There is the Cortex system, the Fate system, powered by the Apocalypse, the Blades in the Dark system. Uh, Mutant Year Zero? You, yes, Mutant Year Zero. Uh, I can remember one. It's, yeah, that's the Year Zero system uh, for the Mutant game. And all of them do things differently. If you want a heavy role-playing game, we just talked about stripping out combat, you want something heavily role-playing, there are better systems for it. Yeah, you don't uh, have to butcher D&D to it. I don't want to say butcher, because you're not necessarily butchering D&D. You're just removing the biggest aspect from D&D. Yeah, and it just, it just feels uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But I think that also leads back into the problem. I think that I, I want people, ironically, to lean away from the D&D system... I get it that it's like this comfortable pair of shoes you're willing to wear, but you need to realize that you're wearing those shoes out or it's like totally not the appropriate time to wear them. And you're really just holding yourself back from actually having a really fun time. Are you saying that it's time to step away from D&D? &D? No, stop. <laughs> maybe maybe some other time, but not maybe next week I, or something. I, I, think, it's, I think it's absolute so. <laughs> natural progression. I mean... You don't get to the end of content and say, yes, I've succeeded in the content. I mean, the game is always going to be fun. It just performs things differently. And in this hobby, everybody has so many passions and ideas and desires to play certain stories that um, stepping into third party is just a half step until you step into a different system. Yeah, so that's where I have to bring up the, the Year Zero system. As I said, I've played Alien RPG. I've played, like, up to eight sessions of it. Um, it is a system that's clearly based around, essentially, what would be called skill checks in normal 5th edition. But mm -hmm. they're played totally different. They feel totally different. Very satisfying reward-fail mechanic. Yeah. It is very well suited to RP, and the game wants you to run it RP. And yeah. I think that it's successful doing that. But I can totally see myself, at a bit of a younger age, being like, oh, well... I want to run Alien, but I'm going to run it in 5th edition, and then seeing that it falls apart because the aliens aren't threatening because you're in a combat system that's well-defined so you can just min-max your way through it. Right, and that's that's also one of the parts that you have to deal with in a crunchy system of so many rules and everything. You get to the point where rules start to be guidelines, mm -hmm. and those guidelines are great when the game is just beginning. Once you hit a certain point you get to where so many rules are either a hindrance or they allow you to play the rule system, as people say. Yeah. And you can get your min-maxing. And I don't mind min-maxing. That doesn't bother me. We've talked about that. Did you, do you know how Adventures League actually handles that? Min-maxing? Uh, technically, yes. Um, but overall, with so many rules and subsets and books released, they actually have a very specific way of handling it. Apparently, um, and I'm just quoting this because I just heard this recently, at a lot of Adventurers League tables, the the official unofficial rule is you can create a character using the rule player uh, PB plus one, meaning you use the player's the player's handbook reference, 
and then you can add one book onto that. Okay. And all every other bit of content is locked out. Nice. So that means every player could essentially use one additional book and you could have no repeats. Yeah, so in reality, every character for the next two, three years will just be Player's Handbook plus Tasha's, of course. Because okay. it added such an absurd amount of content that's not super balanced. Right. <laughs> right. So I think I think we've talked about that too. Balance is an issue with the DM. Um, not the game in itself. I actually, I, I'm like 99% agreement with you. The 1% is like, those players in bad faith where they're just like i just want to create chaos like i've i call that cringy i look at rob because he's one of those guys i'm not one of those guys all right i like to have fun i like to have a good time and i'd like to make sure that like i don't use the excuse well that's what my character would do no it's not Um, because you min max it's because you just want to be a little monster troll I, you know what? I like to have a good time. <laughs> and that's where it always I, leads. I, I like to make sure that, uh, all right, so I'm not, I don't have, like, some neurodivergent ADD mind all the time. Like, I, I have moments. My characters, I like to play along the lines of uh, chaotic neutral. Mm-hmm. Not because there are zero consequences and not because I can do whatever I want. You just like expressing willpower, open-minded choices. Yeah. yeah, and sometimes everybody's experienced it, that when you're sitting around the table and the story comes at a lull, you need somebody to kind of do something <laughs> to get things in motion again. I, and I'm not, that's actually not a bad thing. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> also, when you send the chaotic, neutral, half-orc barbarian who tanked his charisma to be the party face... You yes. get great situations. You really do. So, it is really fun. I don't mean to troll. One of my DMs would absolutely disagree, by the way. He'd be like, Rob, you absolutely fucking troll. You asshole. And I get it because I like shenanigans. But that's that's Rob, not my characters. And not all my characters have shenanigans. But there's always one stick, like one character idea, one character concept uh, that I build a character around. So my most famous character, Thull, which I finally gave him a last name and a title. Um... I got, I'll tell you about that after the podcast, by what the, the way. What is wrong with you? I will tell you about it after the podcast. God. Um, because it's actually a really neat idea. Anyhow, so my most famous character, Thull, is kind of chaotic, sporadic, eats everything, bricks, rocks, kind of like a dumb dog, right? Okay. Just just eats. And always eating. Doesn't matter what it is. Like, uh, if it can go in my mouth, I'm going to eat it. <laughs> Essentially. What? So, and he eats when he's bored. He's a very... Um, problematic eater yeah i think in fact one of the stories is that i was flying upon a griffin and i ate the griffin mid-flight because i was hungry or bored it was one of them like mike i was like shit you know what um this is dumb but Thal would absolutely 100 do this he wouldn't even think about it like oh i mean chicken wing gone <laughs> so um <clears throat> the idea behind Thal is just he he was kicked out of his tribe after a trial of combat um, to enter manhood, essentially. Mm-hmm. And he lost. He was defeated. He was the only one. He's the weakest person in the tribe. His parents hated him. And he was like, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to be the strongest in the world ever. And that was his mission. Pure strength would stop at nothing to gain strength. So he would do all means hated magic, but totally if they were like, hey, this magic potion is going to make you stronger. But like, yeah, screw it. I don't. Oh, magic, great. Love magic now. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. You know, he, uh, he understood the idea of lycanthropy. And he was like, werewolves are strong. So when he got bit by one, he told no one. <laughs> I was like, 
admit, <laughs> nope, nope, this is going to work out. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm the guy who's going to get everybody else killed because I kept this a secret. <laughs> um, yeah. See, but you're doing it in like a reasonable way. It, it's right. your character's interest. Like, it's their motivation. Right. Nah. So, you know, try not to be crazy. I've had other characters. They're still like, uh, I, had a, uh, I had a monk who took a vow of uh, peace. Nope. Nope. I kick you out. Great, great monk. Love this guy. He was also mute. Didn't talk ever. Yep. No. No. You would not survive a day. That character would be gone within literally the first hour of the session. I love how just based on what I'm saying, you're like, I hate this guy. Well, uh, uh, every, everyone who creates a character who does not talk, um, you have made probably the worst character ever. They suck inherently. Like literally by their creation, they suck. The audience can't even see me shaking my head. Nah. Nah. This guy was great. Yeah. So yeah. he was a magic caster because I multiclassed, but he was primary monk. Mm-hmm. And he just gave me prestidigitation, which is all I wanted. Right. He used it to keep himself clean all the time. And he would only engage in combat if he was attacked first. And he would wreck shit when he did attack. Because that's how I do it. So yeah, I always have a concept behind a character. I don't even know what we're talking about anyway. <laughs> so far off. We're talking place. about third-party content. <laughs> oh my god. Just like oh Rob's god. characters, they are amateur and useless. And will never truly be publish published. Speaking about that... <laughs> Man, so I have an idea, and I'm going to release this idea. Okay. Um, I'm going to build it up first, but I'm going to create a um, a class, essentially. And it'll be third-party class. All right, listeners, be careful. Yeah. And the reason I'm going to create this class is actually specifically based on my character of Thal. And you're like, well, shit. Actually, I think I'm going to go with race first, not class. I'm going to build a race. <clears throat> and... The idea behind it is essentially, we all have characters that we absolutely love, right? Mm -hmm. Like you've developed a character that just kind of sits with you. Yeah, everybody does. Yeah, um, Thel is mine. It just sits. I love Thel. I bring Thel back everywhere, anytime. Um, and it got me thinking. We have these great character ideas. We have these great character concepts that live with us. And a, I think D and D characters, they're they're essentially living characters. They're never quite done. They're always progressing. They're always changing. They're always modifying. They're always being built. And that's what makes a good character. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so I've never built a character off of third-party content unless it was specifically for the world I was in or Psionics in Pathfinder, which was never official. Psionics was always considered third-party. Yeah. Um, granted, I've played with third-party content such as... Uh, settings that lay on top of rules that run congruently with the rule system, such as Midgard or Freeport, or I just picked up um, Zodiac something. I don't remember the last name, the last part of that right now. So are you talking about building a literal just race from scratch or pulling the race from third-party content? Because you just referenced third-party content, mm -hmm. but I don't, I don't know where you were pulling that so, from. Though I want to make the third-party content that kind of runs congruently with like some of my favorite additional third-party content. Oh, like you would like to publish something. That is where we're headed, eventually. I would like to start publishing in 2023. Not just our content, but other independent game publisher content. Hmm. But anyhow, pulling from these sources allows you to kind of get a grasp on what works and doesn't work, especially if they've been tested over time. You know, some of the most popular third-party content. And we both have come to an agreement a while back that not all third-party content's bad. No, for sure, no. But 
eventually when you start doing what I've been doing and buying systems that lay over top of rules, not to eliminate the rules, but to expand the game world, eventually you got to break outside of the big two and find new systems. Yeah. And that, that's, again, that's, we've, we've said that and we keep going back to something random. So my thoughts are so fragmented now. Um, <clears throat> You mentioned possibly time to step away from D&D because there are other things that are, are doable. And again, I got to see a lot of games that use different systems. One of them I, I've talked about before and I finally picked up was Wander Home. And I am the kick in the door, kill shit, loot the room. That's, yeah. That's, that's my play style. I love that. So Wander Home is absolutely nothing like that. It is an uh, adventure game where you get to meander through woods and forests and uh i like to describe it as just kind of hanging out it doesn't sound like everybody's cup of tea it doesn't but something about this game particularly just says yep rob you need this one like there's something about it i don't know what it is you ever been larping before yeah dude i've done that twice this is only verbal it's verbal larping at a table to absolutely be <laughs> fair bro every game is every game is technically but this is even more so because you know how okay you've been larping twice so there's you when you larp you're spending 80 percent of the time at a table eating or sitting around a campfire kind of like trying to focus on role play and being invested in it i haven't done either one of those things when i larped what? What did you do? Uh, we actually... So when I LARPed, I played a werewolf game and a vampire game. So two different times, two different systems. Both by White Wolf Publishing, I believe. Anyhow. Um, <clears throat> but you were LARPing? Where? The organization was... Oh, God. It was located not downtown, but it was an old tire shop. And the confines of the building in the parking lot were <clears throat> the play area. And you could actively travel through the play area, and there would be signs to let you know what area or district or what group of um, individuals controlled the area. And just by being of a different uh, race or group denoted by a name tag and card that had primary attribute information on it, like um, physical characteristics, what you're wearing, etc., as you were walking around, you would get into social interactions, which I always thought was bogus that was solved via... Rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> what? That, that was bullshit, by the way. Like, rock, paper, scissors was the primary mode of solving general conflict. Uh, I guess. Well, you can't just walk into an area and like, like, hey, I don't like you, and they can deck you. Like, no, that's not how this uh, game's going to run. So, uh, you could, at the LARP event I went to, you could be attacked, like, at any time. But you weren't getting physically punched. Oh. That's what I'm saying. So, rock, paper, scissors was their mechanic. I hate it. I don't know. Can't you just stand there being theater kids at each other for two hours? Well, if you're not actually hitting them, how do you know you won? <laughs> it's called the beta. I'm quite good at it. <laughs> but uh, any, anyhow, we we walked around, solved, and it was more of a political-based game with a little bit of uh, fighting. And I didn't like the fighting mechanic. The political-based game was fine. But yeah, no sitting around the table. No nothing. It was so interesting. I've never gone back i'm so sorry um, I, to be fair i know that like for those of you who haven't been larping before which is actually probably the vast majority of you larping while it is a fun thing to go after it's it's kind of difficult to to go out of your way to do because 
it's usually in certain parts of like states that you might have to travel a couple hours to mm-hmm. it's not usually in the super comfortable context because you either have to get a hotel which is expensive or you have to camp on site which is uncomfortable um when it comes to larping it I, honestly you're just hanging out with all the weirdos like you. Like, if you enjoy spending time with people that have, like, the same mindset as you, you're going to have a fantastic time. But if you can't get into it, like, you're not going to have a good time. No, I, I didn't have a good time. Now, I will say, did you ever see that movie, uh, Role Models, with Paul Rudd? Yes. So, <clears throat> in that, they look at LARPing, and, you know, they're fighting with the foam swords, and they have story backgrounds and character arcs, etc., and it's really neat. I could totally do that. But that is less LARPing and more like SCA style yes, events. Yes, it is. It and is. I could do SCA. I'm like, that's my fucking jam. Uh, there is one moment during that movie when they're having that final battle that I was like, I can tell this dude like actually is a LARPer. Like they clearly are invested in this. It's just what all. There's a dude who's like cosplayed as a centaur. <laughs> yeah. And runs up just kind of goes, nah, nah. Like he's kind of into it, but he's not going too far. Yeah. And he's like, all right, I'm out, I'm out. And then they're walking away. He's like damn dude that's really cool he's like he's like like he's he's trying not to break character that is like such a real moment when it comes Mm -hmm. to larping because you're supposed to stay in character but you're trying to have a real moment with your guy like like it's hard to describe do we uh we talk about this on the show before um what about people who sit down at your table in full costume so that was going to be megan I, we we briefly brought it up. We did not fully talk about it. Um, I, I think to a certain degree, like, <clears throat> um, so I don't think I always should have my nerd card. I've mentioned this a few times. Um, like I would never sit at a table and wear a cape and wizard hat. I think it's weird. It's a, it's okay to suck, Rob. No one said you that you have to be cool. Yeah, so the fact is, a, I, I really think people who are going to sit down at a table and get into character are one thing. I love the, I love it when people get into character. Like, they're, yeah, I, I speak in the, the first person. I, I'm talking to my character's voice. I am animated in my actions. I brought my wizard cloak and pointy hat. I'm like, we're good, we've, we've gone too far. For me, it's, uh, I call it the furry rule. It depends how far you go on it. If you go too far, it's cringe and uncomfortable. If you go a little bit in, it's kind of cool. And you got to find that gray zone of where it's kind of awesome, but it's not yet cringe. So for me... Cat ears and tail on girls. That's a fetish, Rob. That's different. Whatever. But you you, you actually hit the, the furry scale. You That is a good example. But that's, a, that's for another time. We'll have a whole episode dedicated to that. It's a discussion I've had for hours. Um, oh, all right. Yeah. So uh, for me, or for my suggestion, it's like if I have a player who's being a paladin, I might like have like some sort of foam half like piece of armor on, a shield, maybe a sword. But that's it. We don't go over the top. Maybe they have their holy symbol. But I, no, like I don't want to see a dude fully decked up in full armor and gear trying to sit comfortably at a table, moves around, maybe knocks stuff over. I think visually that'd be great though. 
Could for, you... It'd be great for a moment. It's great for a YouTube video. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I, I think like when you get to the idea of like full armor sitting at the table, you know how complicated things become like rolling dice. It's just nothing but noise. Could you imagine if he sneezed or had a coughing fit? Like, I'm sorry, waiting for somebody to cough for seven <laughs> minutes is one thing. Yeah. While their armor is chinking away. So I don't, I don't mind like... You, like find that good degree and like your other players have to be kind of on there too because if it's just one of you doing it and the rest aren't kind of cringe kind of weird yeah if all of you are doing it it's fine if all of you are doing it hardcore i get you're all in on it but i think you're cringe even if i don't see you doing it see i like if all <laughs> if everybody is all in like you said you use the furry skin. yeah you watch three two paladin players and a fighter <laughs> kind of accidentally bumping arms knocking stuff over yeah no I, you know, like I said, if all of them are in, like, you mentioned the furry scale. Imagine a round table, five or six people all decked out in in their entire furry outfits. And um, I think it's really neat. I think the concept is kind of fun. Like, because when you're looking at everybody going all in, it becomes the idea that they are no longer just characters, but they are themselves playing a game. Yeah. And I like that idea. The concept is like, it, it hits home. But me, this is just me. I like going as regular old Rob. Um, I might have something nerd-esque related to my character, but it's going to be small and subtle. I like to be yeah. small and subtle. My personality is loud. Uh, number one, or the easiest things are just your main weapon. I don't mind if each player had their main weapon. In fact, I encourage it at some point. Convince all your players to carry their main weapon, like buy a cheap axe or something. Just why not um what all there's a whole as part of the hobbyist this is now the hobbyist episode again uh there's a lot you can do hobby wise with a heat gun and some eva foam you can do a whole lot actually with armor just google like or not google but youtube it you can make a lot of different armor pieces from from eva foam and a heat gun i think I think that's just a natural progression and extension of this hobby, though. You are correct. I mean, we've we've talked about briefly in one of our hobby episodes that um, there's so much more. We got into 3D printing, we got into painting. Eventually, natural progression is just eventually crafting armor, etc. Everybody mm -hmm. wants to get into it eventually. I mean, I just 3D printed rings last night. What kind of rings? So they're the actual. They are. So it's from Loot Studios, my favorite models. Um, they released a set of like eight rings. That are all the actual magic item rings from the okay. player's handbook. Okay. So these are literal, just the physical representations of those. I 3D printed them. I spray painted them. I want to paint them up. But, I mean, they they are really cool. And they are actually the size of rings, so you can wear them. So, like, if my player... I For fun, I can go behind my DM screen. And when their player buys a ring of protection, I literally can hand them a ring of protection. And that's a super, super over-the-top cool moment for players... Yeah, yeah, I would say so. I mean, that's taking it, I mean, not full costume, not full regalia, but it's just right inside the line. And I like to do things with coins, mm -hmm. you know, like he drops a pouch full of coins or tosses a pouch full of coins. So I've got uh, pouches full of coins tossed to my players. I Oh, I also used the cringe to my benefit once. So there's a big derpy wizard hat magic item that lets you cast any cantrip. So one of my players got that item. What I did is I bought a really, really large, goofy hat. I told them if they want to use the magic item, they have to be wearing the hat. And eventually, within two sessions, they got rid of the hat. That's unfortunate. 
It, I mean, it was hilarious when they were trying to cast spells while wearing that giant goofy hat and me being very adamant that they had to keep wearing it. But at some point, they're like, I can't do it anymore. Like, they would just actively be embarrassed while wearing it. It was great. So that's unfortunate. That it was for my entertainment. It had nothing to do with D&D. That's unfortunate that they were embarrassed. Um, <clears throat> I think that's something we should talk about in a later episode, actually, is that if a lot of people get nervous, scared, or embarrassed to go full roleplay, they want to, mm-hmm. but they something stops them. Like, full I, stop. I am actually fantastic at, like, getting people to slowly transition into that. I like I've helped so many people. I've I've actually had a lot of people who are like I had social anxiety before I started playing. And I was like, "Yep, and I'm glad you were here. I'm glad you stayed, and I'm glad it turned out so well for you." I've had I think four players who told me that at some point that they had very bad social anxiety. And playing D&D actually dramatically helped that. Do you have a good memory? Mm, decent. Okay. This is an inside thing. The listeners are going to get a peek behind the curtain. Oh, God. I don't think they're ready. So, a while back, I said, I can pretty much roll with all the punches. Mm-hmm. I'm really good at adapting to all that. You said it sounded kind of narcissistic. And here you are talking up your you ability. Are, you your are narcissistic. <laughs> your ability to get people to come up and really role play. I am and narcissistic. Listen, yes, you are. Listen, Robert, I am an empath. So, therefore... You are bullshit. <laughs> I'm an empath. You are bullshit. I'm now also a 14-year-old girl on the internet. I'm an empath, and I understand people better than most. Yeah, yeah, Dr. Josh, <laughs> the empath, who just happens to be experienced in D&D. Um, it's just like, I, I've experienced a lot of awkward in my life being like a, a self-secluded person, like self-inflicted, so I just have a very... Strong ability to see, like, someone's uncomfortable and then being able to, to meter out where they need space and where they need attention. Uh, that's genuinely something I've been good at. So, yeah, I, I such do. Such a nerd. That, so, yeah, it's such a nerd that I make people happy. Bro. <laughs> Bro. So, when I see people like that, I've got a big problem. Like, a poke, 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 poke. No! Like, you poke. make them uncomfortable! No, I make friends that way. My social awkwardness is totally different than yours. God damn it. No, I mean for the people who are uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I approach it differently. I make best friends with them just by kind of poke. Hmm. Hmm. It's weird. It's weird, I know. God, I want to pour more soda, but I don't want the listeners to have to hear it. That's all right. We can wrap up here about 45 minutes in any It's okay. This is not important. That's right. We as, as we talked about health earlier in the episode. It's diet. It's diet. So it's even worse. It's not. Don't talk about aspartame like that. You... <laughs> and it's Coke Zero, so it doesn't even have aspartame. You know what's amazing is that this episode is so out there in every possible way. Um, for a while, I was essentially drinking uh, caffeine-free Coke Zero. So no caffeine or anything. Based on the nutrition facts alone, mm-hmm. it's as healthy as water. There's zero everything. So the thing is, uh, I have listened to doctors who talk about this kind of stuff because it does genuinely interest me. And I grew up with a family who are like, aspartame will give you cancer and autism. And I go, oh, that's horrible. Oh, Jesus Christ. As, as you sip your aspartame-laden drink. That's not, that one doesn't have aspartame, but I do drink the aspartame ones as well. Uh, I don't like the dry taste that it So, gives. for those of you who have heard, aspartame uh, gives you autism, makes you gay, makes you short. It doesn't do any of those, actually. So, what happened was, 
There have been studies with aspartame. In normal studies that have been made, there are no long-term negative effects from aspartame. You are really into this conversation because your levels just jumped up. Sorry, I am actually really into this. I feel vindicated. Um, so the thing is... You feel like D&D and aspartame are your two things? <laughs> Maybe a little bit. I don't know. It's, well, also socialism. Uh, so, so with aspartame, what happened is a study, a study was performed, usually on rats, right? Like rats are actually like... Biologically mo- close to humans. It's like not even actually true. It's really bad, but they keep doing it. So what happened is they injected rats with 200 times the dosage of aspartame. Where did they inject it? Hmm? Where did they inject it? I don't remember specifically, but they do have a fully listed study. So what happened is they injected them with 200 times the amount. And what a surprise when you inject a creature with 200 times the dosage of a chemical, the rats started developing tumors and they perished. Wow, what a surprise. Tell me, Rob. If I inject you with any chemical 200 times the normal dose, do you think you'll en- it'll end well for you? I'm not a doctor. You, so do you I'm, have common sense? I'm trying to grasp the injection aspect of it. Because aspartame, you consume, you eat. Like, okay. it's, it's digested. So if you inject it directly into the Easy. stomach... I drink, I drink, I drink a, a one, one cup of soda, that, mm-hmm. and it has aspartame. So the little micro amount of aspartame that's in here for mm-hmm. that artificial sweetener, yep. they they scaled it down for a rat mm-hmm. to have the equivalent, and then they injected it with 200 times that. Yes, I understand that. So where did it go? If they're injecting it, I'm instantly thinking needle. Yeah. Okay, so aspartame doesn't go into the blood. Like, you consume it, so it gets digested, and your body processes it that way. It, it, it still does end up in the bloodstream. But essentially, your body does your body thing. It generally somehow filters out because it has to go through the processes. <laughs> so injecting 200 times the normal amount of aspirin directly to the blood. I mean, any chemical that is filtered through your body and then just injected into the blood are going to get different results. I mean, if they're just putting it into the fat, I mean... I need to know more. I don't know. I'm and you know what? That's a good point. You don't know. And you know, I can't quite fully remember the study, but you can <clears throat> actually look it up. So what happened was that occurred. And so what happened was news media outlets needed the next rage bait piece. And so that's the one they picked up. They're like, oh yeah, aspartame kills you. It gives you cancerous tumors. They don't, they, it was literally just a mouthpiece to talk about, to give them clicks. Back in the, the, it was the 90s. Like, mid-90s to early 2000s was the huge aspartame hate parade. That's funny. I learned that, well, upon reflection, I've really seen that. Um, A lot of things that we kind of latch onto in history are really smear campaigns against something random. Uh, Yeah, that's, um, that's actually like a lot of American media. Yeah. You can actually define a lot of American media as like a weird form of propaganda. I'm not trying to say like weird, gross QAnon stuff. No, like if you watch a lot of like 80s movies, 90s movies, enemies are vast majority of the time minorities that are like the most disgusting, filthy kind of person you can meet. I think that goes on branch into conversations we should probably not have on the audio show. I think it's really important and it relates deeply to TTRPGs. It 
does to Let's talk about mazes does and monsters. Um, no. <laughs> no, we're not. No, we're not. Guys, check us out on Facebook at Epic Table Games or online at epictablegames.com. And as we mentioned, Gen Con was just last week. And we're going to try to filter through a lot of different content through contacts that we picked up since then. Uh, it's going to take some time. We'll let you know kind of where the origin started for each of the episodes that has something related to Gen Con in it. Um, other than that, I think we're just going to label this episode Aspartame. Yeah. Also, talk to your doctor. About everything. Be honest, too. Like, don't hide anything back. Yeah. Hold anything back. Later. Make way for the paladins. Make way for the paladins. Epic Table Games. Make way for the paladins. Make way for the paladins. Epic Table Games. Thank you for listening to the Epic Table Games audio show with the paladins of podcasts, Rob and Josh. Until next time, stay in touch on Facebook at Epic Table Games and online at epictablegames.com. Epic Table Games.